Well, good morning. So that uh, Compelled to Courage will start the first day that it will start is uh, the 31st of August. Am I correct on that? Okay. Um, and then after that, it'll be the first and third, whatever they said. So, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, very informational. Um, I don't know if you guys um, heard this. This week, the CDC uh, released a statement. It, I don't know why any of the, the major news outlets, uh, none of them actually played this, but some of the more uh, conservative news outlets mentioned this, but the uh, CDC director now said that vaccinated people can spread the virus as much as unvaccinated people. I, I don't think that word means what they think it means, vaccinated. That's just me. I don't think they know what vaccines mean at the CDC. Because to me, if you get vaccinated, you can't spread it or have it. Um, but as I mentioned a few weeks ago, over 60% of all people, these statistics came out of Israel, um, who, who's done overwhelmingly the most studies of anybody about this, that over 60% of all people that are coming in with the, va with the virus right now um, have been vaccinated. So, so to me, statistically, if you don't want the if you don't want COVID, don't get vaccinated. You're in the 40% group. <laughs> am, am I just a crazy guy thinking that kind of stuff? I don't know. So, uh, but here's, here's a big one, guys. This just happened this week. We've been, been following this for a long time. A lot of the stuff that the states have been doing over the last, well, it's been a while, but specifically the last nine months to a year really working uh, against the... <clears throat> Uh, against abortion and against the, the kind of the, the federal overreach that has been for so long with this. You've, so you've been hearing me talk about cities and areas and even entire counties that have become abortion-free zones, that they are, are um, sanctuary cities for the unborn. Um, I love the fact that they use that terminology too, but um, that these are, th th this is becoming a big thing through our country and a lot of Local municipalities and, and um, states are starting to step up in a lot of different ways. Well, this week, this last week, Mississippi uh, finally made a formal, got, it got big enough in a lot of different ways that they can have the legal right to make a uh, formal petition to the Supreme Court to overturn uh, Roe versus Wade. This is going to be huge. Um, and then what they're going to do is they're going to put this back in the hands of the states, which is where it should have been in the first place. It, it, the Supreme Court never had the authority or the right to make a law like that. You, you've heard me beat that drum many times over the years. But that Roe versus Wade is one of the most unconstitutional, illegal things that's ever happened. The, the Supreme Court does not have that kind of power. And so now they're going to try to kick this up. We don't know how it's going to work out, but, but pray. Okay, these are the things as Christians we should be praying about. Don't, don't fall into the goofy trap that, well, this is a political issue, and so it's not a Christian issue. It, it is not a political issue. It is the center of a Christian issue. This is the center of who we are as people following God to, to be obedient in this. And who knows, maybe this does uh, overturn Roe versus Wade. At least it starts the process. And then we get to the point where we can actually begin the very the, the, the infancy of stepping into the arena of, of 2 Chronicles 7.14, humble yourself, pray, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways, and then God will hear from heaven. And I believe that this is, this is the biggest thing that we as a country can do right now to, to, to um, humble ourselves and repent before God and, and get God's uh, covering his, his grace back over our country. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is huge. And so, so be thinking about it, praying for that uh, some places you can go. I know the ACLJ has uh, this stuff on their website. They've been tracking it the strong. Well, they've been more than tracking it. They've been in the fight of it. The, the ACLJ, Jay Succolo, uh, has been in the middle of this more than anybody else. Um, he's, he's truly the man. And so um, be praying about that. I, um, <clears throat> I've, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump a little bit from the last few weeks and, and pick some stuff out here. Uh, something I mentioned a few weeks ago, the reason that our country is to the place that it is is because the, primarily we've lost the fear of God. We're, we're more afraid of something else. Uh, we're more afraid of, and, and afraid may not be uh, like scared kind of thing, but we're more interested in or, or we respect something or we desire something more than we desire God. 
which is losing the fear of God. When, when we are more concerned with what God thinks than what anybody else thinks, then, then we're following him. That's, that's the way Christians think. If we're more concerned with what God thinks, we have more fear of God than we have anything else. That is, that is true focus and dedication upon the Lord. And so I'm going to look at that and unpack some stuff for us this morning. And I'm going to go uh, to a video again this morning. Now, I've shown pieces of this, um, and this is from a couple years ago, but I've shown pieces of this. I'm going to show a little bit more. Some of this, some of this you've already seen. Um, it was a while back. I don't think it was quite two years ago, but it was a while back, and, and, but there's another little part of it. But to really think about this, this has just been in my mind and spirit so heavy uh, to really address. If, if, if we're Christians, if we say, Lord, I'm following you as a Christian, what does that really mean? What does it mean to say, God, I'm, I'm your servant? I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, um, and have that defined for us. And so this is uh, Jordan Peterson. Again, this is with an interview that he did with uh, Dennis Prager. And, uh, and I've been talking about this, that um, I, I've been watching um, Jordan for a long time get closer and closer to this uh, idea of being a Christian. And this is about the time frame when I think he really um, kind of jumped in and really processed what it means to serve God. And then for the next year, year and a half after this video was made, um, I really saw a lot of stuff that was showing relationship with God, a desire for God. Now, here's something interesting. You can check on this and see if I'm right or wrong about this. The last three or four months, I think he's kind of been swinging back away. He's, he's moved. His wife is no longer in the same physical condition she was in. He's no longer dealing with the stuff he was dealing with. And, and I, f- I feel like the song, the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, is kind of what's going on there. You, you investigate that yourself and see, if you care. Some of you don't even know who, or care, who Jordan Peterson is. But at the time he said this, I think he was processing and becoming, at least the best I can tell, becoming a Christian. And, um, and so pretty profound stuff. Let's look at this. You live as if there is a God. Is that correct? Well, people ask me if I believe in God. You know, I just, I, I'm going to release... Um, podcast about that because I I answered that question for about two hours in Australia because people kept asking me that question which I really don't like I don't like that question and so I I sat and thought about it for a good while and I tried to figure out why and and then I thought well you you believe you I thought who would have the audacity to claim that they believed in God. If they examined the way they lived, who would dare say that? To, to believe, you think, to believe in a Christian sense, to actually, this is why Nietzsche said there was only ever one Christian, and that was Christ. To have the audacity to claim that means that you live it out fully. And that's an, that's an unbearable task in some sense to be able to accept the structure of existence the suffering that goes along with it and the disappointment and the betrayal and and to nonetheless act properly right to aim at the good with all your heart right to to dispense with the malevolence and your desire for destruction and revenge and all of that and to face things courageously and to tell the truth to speak the truth and to act it out that's what it means to believe. That's what it means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean to state it. It means to act it out. And unless you act it out, you should be very careful about claiming it. And so I've never been comfortable saying anything other than I try to act as if God exists because God only knows what you'd be if you truly believed. That, that last statement he takes out on that subject for a while. God only knows what, if you just believed, if you just really lived this out and believed what God could do with you. Think about this. What, what did he do with the people through Scripture that, that believed to the point of action? See, this is a disconnect for us in American Western thinking is the, the disconnect between cognitive belief and uh, life action. We really we read John three sixteen, and it says that that if we believe Jesus Christ or believe in Jesus Christ, 
that we can have eternal life. And we really think that that just means cognitive affirmation somehow. Well, I believe in him. But, but do you really, if you're not, if you're not um, doing it's just is it, is it just a thought process? And somehow, and, and it's hard for me to totally process this because I, I, I grew up in this Western society. I, I understand this concept when we say believe that it's a mind thing uh, more than it's an, an action thing. We've so trained ourselves with that. It's a mind thing. Instead of the accountability to that thought, to those thought process. And so I, I want us to look at all right, let's go to, to uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel. And, and I, w- I want to look at uh, t- two guys, Samuel and Eli. And we're going to look at those as bookends, and then we're going to look at, at, the, at the second part of this, which is kind of the meat or the core of this. In uh, 2 Samuel chapter 2, Eli, the high priest, Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who were assisted at the entrance of the temple. Eli said to them, I've been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you're doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. That's called lip service. Eli did nothing to stop this. He just said words. That's it, just words. Our society is so full of words right now and so few Moral, directional action. But we've got words. We say things. And I've seen this flow into all areas of society, including parenting, where we have lots of words, but no, no real accountability. No real discipline. No, we just say words. And we think somehow that those words are just magical and they're going to make things happen. We see it politics. They just say words. And they mean nothing. And this is the, I think this is the saddest part of this, is the American people know these are just empty words. But we don't do anything about it. We keep voting people in. We keep doing this. And they're just words. When, when does something start happening? Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are, good, are, are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. And let me add a parenthetical in there. Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father because they know it didn't matter. Because he wasn't going to do anything about it. He was more worried about his sons than he feared God. He was more worried about the connection of that. He was willing to sacrifice all these young ladies that were coming to the, to the temple. He was willing to sacrifice the, the, the people, the, the, the masses. He was willing to sacrifice the integrity of the, of the temple and the sacrifices and the worship and all the things. He was willing to sacrifice everything, God's plan, God's will, God's covering, God's authority on his life. He was willing to sacrifice all of that for what? Because he didn't want to uh, uh, irritate his sons or, or make them hate him or how, whatever, whatever was going through his head. But he was more worried about his sons than he was about God. This is, this is a, a dangerous place for us to get to. Part of the thought process for me on this is, is um, um, the, the mentality of what happens to people. You see, you see good solid uh, Christians slash conservatives that go to Washington, and then once they get to Washington, something happens. And it's very, very few. I'm saying like, like in the single-digit percentiles of people that, that uh, stay consistent to their values and their morals and everything else when they go to Washington. It's, it's a, there's something. It's obviously a spiritual thing first. But there's got to be something else because I've never seen it this strong within like the Supreme Court. Well, you see solid conservative people that, that for years and years have had very consistent voting records and hold moral values and Christian values and all these things. And then when she gets to the Supreme Court, she caves. Just like the, the two predecessors before. And you're thinking, why? 
What happened? I, this, is, this is just human thinking. I don't have the reason. I, I don't, but this is all I can come up with. Somebody has so much stuff on her that they can blackmail her into submission. That's the only thing I can come up with. Either that or she completely loses out spiritually and morally in her walk with God. I don't know the answers to that, but I do know that's not the person that was sent there. So, so I begin to think if that can happen to her, why? what makes me think it, doesn't, it can't happen to me? What makes me think that I am so much better or so much above her that, that I, I, I'm just going to always be doing the right thing? See, here's, let me give you a little insight into how I process stuff. And this, I believe this is what Eli is saying right here, by the way. This, this last part where he says, um, you sin against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? See, I, I don't have much um, grace or compassion for ministers that use the authority and position of ministry specifically to hurt and manipulate people. That they use this covering of um, some kind of church or, or pastoral leadership or something, a position that they've been given. Um, going even into the Catholic Church, the priesthood, when, when, they, um, the, the, when there's pedophilia and stuff like that in the priesthood, I, I think those guys should be pulled out of there and put in prison for the rest of their lives. I have no grace with that. And we, and we have this, this uh, concept within our fellowship and within many Protestant evangelical denominations of a rehabilitation mentality. And I've sat on those committees. I've been in leadership and those kind of things. And I try, I pray as hard as I can, God, help me to have grace because, God, you're a God of grace. But I don't have a lot of grace in those areas. I'm saying getting those people back into ministry. You can go... Open a restaurant, start a business, do whatever you want. But if you've been in ministry and you knowingly, intentionally use your power and position of authority in ministry to hurt other people, I don't think you should ever be allowed in ministry again. Ever. And I, and I struggle. And I know that that's... Here's the other side of it. In the back of my head, I'm probably wrong. That's the best I can say there. I just don't have a lot of grace with that. Well, what... This is exactly what God is saying right here. That when you, when you specifically blaspheme God, the, the, who's, who's your advocate then? Who's going to stand for you when you're blaspheming God? When you're using the things of God to tear down God, who, who stands for you in those moments? I just don't think there's going to be a lot of grace, and we see this all through Scripture. In fact, the New Testament talks about this in quite a few different places. Um, Paul talks about that when you take on a position of spiritual authority as a teacher in the church, that you're accountable for more. You're accountable to God for that. That When I'm standing up here and I'm speaking and I'm preaching, I'm accountable to God more for what I'm saying than you are for what you're hearing. Do you know that? Like, sweet... <laughs> it's not the correct answer there. Um, you're supposed to be working out your salvation. I am. But when I am taking the position of responsibility and saying, I believe this is what God is saying here, that's a big deal. Okay? Guys, this is, this is important. This is extremely important because as we move forward in our society, I've said this before, I really believe between now and the end of the year, we're going to see some major stuff, some major shifts and transitions in the church thinking, in the church world, in relationships in the church, and how the church continues to um, draw lines and separate. We're starting to see this stuff in a crazy way. We're, we're really starting to see major parts of the church embrace um, critical race theory. We're seeing major parts of the church, big names that are David Platt's, one of the biggest that I've seen this so far. And, I, and I've liked the guy's teaching over the years, but he has come out and said, I watched this myself. You can go find this, okay? Um, he specifically said the problem with America today is the white pastors in churches. He said, as a white pastor, I'm the problem. And I thought, you can own whatever you want individually, but don't bring me into your messed up world. Because I'm not guilty of whatever you think I'm guilty of. Guys, this is dangerous. This is a perversion of what the gospel really is. 
This is, this is crazy, horrible stuff that we're seeing pushed into our culture and into our country. Why? It's demonic. Satan is trying to destroy and control. Satan doesn't care about people's skin color. He only cares about hate, anger, and division and destruction. He doesn't care who does it to who. He'll use whichever people to whichever people. Because why? He didn't make any of them. He doesn't love any of them. God made people. He loves them all. And he expects us to love them all. Division hurts that, hinders that, and, and destroys that. Our responsibility is, okay, God, I'm going I'm to do the best I can to follow you, to be obedient to you. And I'm not, I'm not going to let church and ministry things make stuff worse. You, you're, you are called by God to do stuff. I talked about this three weeks ago. You're called by God to lead people and minister and, and priest people and all this other stuff. Don't ever let the very thing that God has called you to be the thing that you used to hurt people with. Don't ever do that. Don't let a, a life group or something else be a way that you hurt people. Don't use God's word to hurt people. It's, it's, um, it won't be good for you if you do. It's, a, it's an extremely important thing. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now let's jump way ahead in time. And uh, let's go to, uh, to Samuel late in Samuel's life. So Eli was the priest. His sons were doing um, perverted things, think, being predators, sexual predators of these young ladies and all this other stuff. Okay? This is about the time that Samuel comes into the household or the, or the, uh, the, ch the uh, church and, and is raised by the priesthood. Okay? And because his mother made a, a promise, all this stuff. So let's jump ahead first and let's go to um, Samuel late in life. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like the father. They were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king. Do you realize this is the second biggest turning point in Hebrew history? This is the moment. They were theocracy before. God's in charge. They've got the judges. They've got the, the uh, priests. And then God would send prophets through to wake them up, get their attention. But God was still considered actively in charge. Not some kind of passive way that we do today, but actively in charge of the, the Hebrew people. And this is the moment when they said, we want a king. And, and God said, you, you don't want a king. And Samuel said, you don't want And they kept arguing, and God finally gives them a king. And here's the thing. This was the turning point. What, what was the, the, um, the catalyst for this turning point? Samuel had allowed his two sons to, to uh, abuse the position of judge. So Eli's sons in priesthood, Eli was a high priest, they were priests, now Samuel is the prophet, and he appoints these two guys as judges. These are the two major positions in the people. And Samuel allowed his sons to do the exact mentality that Eli's sons had, had done. This was over money. Eli's sons were sexual predators. These guys were, uh, were greedy, and they perverted justice through greed and money. Same basic thing as Eli's sons. And this is the moment when, when they began to desire a king or, or basically begged God for a king. And this is, this is what God says to Samuel. Do everything, verse 7, do everything they say to you, for they are rejecting me, not you. Do you hear God's heart in this? Do you hear his, his brokenness in this? This, is, this isn't him just saying, okay, they're horrible sinners, I'm going to judge them or whatever. He's saying they're not rejecting. Those are emotional statements. Those aren't, those aren't um, political or kingdom statements or leadership statements. That's a, that's a relational statement. They're rejecting me, not you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. They don't want me to be their king any longer. That's not a political statement. That's not a, that's not a, a leadership statement. Even though he uses the word king in there, he's saying they don't want him. They don't want God any longer. 
Ever since I brought them for, from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. I'm not going to read down through this, but the next, uh, quite a few verses after that, to, uh, uh, God tells Samuel, and Samuel tells the people, this is what a king will do to you. You should read that for fun. Just this afternoon, like over lunch, like, hey guys, let me read this to you. This is what a king does. And, and mark all the ones that are not what our country is doing right now today. Just scratch those out of the Bible. It's okay, you'll have a clean page. You won't defile the Bible, I promise. Okay, now let's go back. Let's jump back into to back toward the time when Eli's sons were doing this. And Eli wouldn't tell them no. Just tell them. I mean, yeah, he told them, but he didn't do anything. But he could have pulled them out of the priesthood. According to Scripture, he should have put them before the people and they were supposed to be stoned for this. But he, was, he wouldn't do that. Same thing with Samuel. Why didn't Samuel take care of his sons? It changed the course of the Hebrew people. But here's, here's where this, this whole thing, this was the beginning of the story. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, I've, I've preached about this before. I've unpacked it a lot. I'm not going to unpack it a lot, just a little bit um, for us this morning. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel, who'd been dedicated by his mother, served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. This is such an important sentence because God is the God that never changes. God never stops desiring to give us messages or visions or dreams or anything else. God is always doing that. In fact, um, Joel prophesies as much, hundreds and hundreds of years after this, Joel prophesies that prophesies you know, in the last days, that, that God is going to give us visions and dreams. Young men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. He says that again. Why? Because it, there's a resurgence. It's, <clears throat> it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that brings that back. That's why Peter, in the end of Acts chapter 2, stands up and says, this is what Joel was prophesying about. This has happened all through time where God's spirit and his presence is very, very evident, very prominent in the people's lives. And then something changes. God doesn't change. People change. I was thinking about this also. I feel like this is a pick on David Platt morning, but David Platt's also the guy about seven or eight months ago that I mentioned that, that preached an entire sermon that was like the... Um, like the official state of the um, denomination address that he made, explaining why um, there are times when God does things like miracles and stuff like that, but this is but God, that's not part of our existence anymore. We don't have miracles and gifts of the Spirit and all that kind of stuff. That's not what God is doing. And these, he didn't say it this way, but this is what he was saying. The Pentecostal churches need to stop preaching this stuff. Well, that's the guy. Now think about it. This is not coincidence. That's the guy that a year later is buying in to all this, the, the critical race theory and BLM and everything else. Why? Because he doesn't believe in the power and the, the intimate connection of the Holy Spirit speaking to us, guiding us and leading us. He doesn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't believe in praying in tongues. He doesn't believe in prophecy. He doesn't believe in words of knowledge and wisdom and things like that. So guess what? They're not coming to him because he's rejecting them. This is exactly what he's saying here, that the messages from the Lord are very rare. Why? It's not because God changes. It's because we change and we start pushing away what God is trying to do with us and stop letting that closeness and that intimacy. Guys, God is trying to speak to all of us all the time. He's doing everything he can to speak, but you got to be listening. You got to know what it sounds like. Look at this. <clears throat> it says one night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Very soon after this, the lamp of God goes out. The lamp, do you say, what does that matter? There's a specific lamp in the temple that, that God said, keep that lamp always lit. And as long as that lamp is always lit, my presence will be with you. When the lamp goes out, I will no longer be with you. And it's amazing. I've heard 
sermons about this. I've heard, I've read books about this, that, that there was something supernatural about that lamp. No. Wrong. You missed it. That's not the point. The point is, if you care enough to make sure that there's oil in the lamp and that the, the wick is trimmed, and you care enough to make sure that every time you walk by that lamp, you are concerned that somebody has taken the time and energy to take care of that lamp, that shows that your heart is going toward the Lord, your attitude is going toward the Lord, and therefore God's presence is with you. By the time the lamp goes out, God was gone a long time. And you just didn't know it. Because you don't care. This is, the, this is where the parable of the ten virgins comes from. This is exactly, Jesus is using that, that um, lamp in the temple to, to tell this story. That if, if, if as a virgin you're waiting for your husband to come pick you up and take you to your wedding and honeymoon, if, you don't even, if you're not ready, dressed with the lamp ready to go, then you're not ready. That's the point. You don't care enough. You don't care enough. It'd be the same if we want to bring it today into a little bit more today context. It would be the same thing as a, as a bride showing up to the wedding but forgot her dress and her makeup. Opens the door and she walks in, torn up pair of jeans, t-shirt, walks in and goes, oh, wait, something's missing. Right? Immediately everybody would go, don't you even care? I did a wedding years ago. This really happened. This was 25 years ago. I did a wedding. And um, the bride was three and a half hours late to the wedding because she forgot to pick up her dress. I'm not making this up. The groom didn't know she was three hours late because he was two hours late. And when he got to the church, he was worried everybody was waiting on him. And for some reason, I still did the wedding. <laughs> Here's my reason. I was 26. I didn't know you could say, I don't think we're going the right direction with this. Guys, when, when as, as Jordan Peterson said, when is this life action rather than just verbalization? When does that happen? And I'm saying just to pick any area of our life, pick any area of society, pick any area of the church. When? See, the lamp going out, I think this is a big thing. They would put so much emphasis on whether the lamp was going out or not that they didn't put the emphasis on making sure that it was all primed and ready to stay lit. I think we've done the same thing in today's church thinking. We convince ourselves that there is a lit lamp in certain arenas when there isn't. And we assume that it's there. We assume the lamp's there. It's lit. It's burning. God is with us. Why? Because we opened the doors, called ourselves a church, and so then therefore God is somehow obligated to show up. There's not a promise of that in Scripture anywhere. God says that He's there. You're welcome to show up where He is. He doesn't go where you are unless you're already walking with Him. Remember the sentence where they come across the, the, um, <clears throat> the, the Jordan to fight the battle of Jericho and, and, um, and um, Joshua is walking the night before through the, through the fields and he comes to an angel and he says to the angel, are you friend or foe? Are you on my side or their side? Talking about Jericho. Are you on our side or Jericho's side? And the angel said, neither. I'm on God's side. What, what was he telling Joshua? There's, you're, you don't have a side. That God's concerned about. God is the side. That's the only side that matters. There's not Jericho. There's not Joshua. There's not all these different things uh, socially and politically and all this stuff. There is God's side. Get on God's side. Nothing else is important. Get on God's side. We see where the lamp is burning is saying, God, I need you. And we can do the same thing in church thinking today. Just because we say we're having worship, we assume two or three things. We assume first we're worshiping God. We assume second that God cares. And that somehow our hearts and our minds and everything are right. When God says, well, you're going to worship me, how? How are you going to worship me? You're going to worship me in spirit 
and in truth. Those are the qualifiers for worshiping God, not all the other stuff. And we put so much extra stuff on that in, in our church thinking and American church world and culture and everything else. I saw a great meme the other day. Anybody um, familiar with uh, the Babylon Bee? If you don't know who the Babylon Bee is, you definitely need to. These are some deep theological thinkers. Um, <clears throat> they are very popular. They're actually a satire group, but their satire is the best I've ever seen at being factual. And even if, if you look at them over a long period of time, prophetic. Some things they say four or five years ago, you're like, that would never happen. But man, that's funny. And then you look today and it's happening. Very, very funny, guys. They were actually removed from Facebook and some other things because Facebook did a fact check on them and found that they were not factual. And they're like, duh, we're a satire group. But why did Facebook not like them? YouTube did the same thing. Why did Facebook not like them? Because their satire was so on target. But here's the thing. Most of what they do is pick on the church. But uh, I saw a meme they had the other day that said, we regret that the announcer gets up, like the church MC gets up and announces, we regret to inform you that the Holy Spirit has left because we ran out of smoke for the smoke machine. See, sometimes we do things like turn lights on and have music and sing songs, and we say, well, it's worship. And God says, I don't recognize this. Doesn't sound like worship to me. Sounds like you're worshiping yourself. Sounds like you're worshiping music. Sounds like you're worshiping something, but it's not me. Guys, the requirement for worship is come before him in spirit and in truth. Let his truth open your heart and lay it bare so that his Holy Spirit can, can interact within you. That's, that's the point of this. We, we play games sometimes. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? So he got up and ran to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli, here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Now this is a very important sentence. Samuel did not know the Lord, did not yet know the Lord. We understand what he's saying is more than just knowing the Lord, it means knowing his voice, knowing when he's talking to you, knowing God in a close enough sense that you recognize when he is speaking to you. I've wondered this for myself, so I'll push it off onto you. Um, I've wondered this myself, that when I talk to God, what I think that I'm, I'm connecting with God, I've wondered sometimes, am I really connecting with God that way, or is that just my perception? Right? Do I really know what God's voice sounds like? See, the only way you can know God's voice is to hear it and hear it and hear it. Jesus said that the, shep, the, the sheep know the voice of shepherd. Well, why? Because the shepherd's talking to them all the time, and they're doing what he says. That's, that's part of the deal, doing what he says. But, but how, how do we know that we're hearing God's voice? Now, I don't want this to become a negative or a distraction or a condemnation to you, because I do get that regularly. Well, how do I know that I'm hearing God's voice? Usually the extenuation of that question is, how do I know that God is speaking to me? Well, here's the reality. God is speaking to you. You've got to start there. If you don't start there, the next question becomes very muddy. God is speaking to you. So how do you hear his voice? The way you hear his voice is you get close to him. And you just stay as close to him as you can all the time. But you can't look off in the distance and, and assume that the voice through all the other voices is God's voice. You can't, you can't expect that to cut through everything. You're going to have to minimize the other voices. You're going to have to get closer to God than you're to the other stuff. You have to shut off the other voices, all of the other background noise and stuff, and get in close to God. And that's difficult to do in our <clears throat> American pace where everything has, has got to be quick, instant, and right in our, in our face and ears and everything else. Right? Some, I, I'm sure there are some of you in here that do this, but I see people all the time that walk around with earbuds in their ears all the time, which I guess if that's your thing, fine. But you know what that does? It diminishes other people being able to communicate with you. 
Did you know that? This is one of the things. <coughs> I, don't, I don't ride uh, my bike with earbuds in. I know a lot of people that do. I don't understand that. That's the way you get run over. You're going to shut off all the other noises like car motors and honking horns and people's voices and screaming children. You're going to shut off all those voices so that what? You can hear your music? That's dumb in my opinion. <laughs> right? Lynn and I passed. This is just because you asked. Um, I, I, we were driving behind this car yesterday. And I said, Lynn, watch this car. I said, that person is on their phone. She said, how do you know? I said, watch Stop and start, go very slow, way slower than traffic, go way over to the line, go across, you know, another car moves over trying to get out of their way, come across, and they were just like this the whole time, like the dotted lines were, were bowling alley gutters, you know, and just doing all this kind of stuff. As we drove up, and I got nearer the woman, um, although that has nothing to do with it, I'm sure, uh, as I got closer to the woman... I realized, I thought for a split second, I thought I was wrong. She's not on her phone because she was twirling her hair with this hand. And I thought, well, she's not until I got another foot closer and the other hand was doing this. Here's my question. Are you an alien with a third arm holding the steering wheel? Right? It's amazing how that's... Now, here's the thing. You, you magnify that all through our life, all through our life, all through our life. It becomes very difficult to hear God when we've got all this other stuff going on all the time, all the time, all the time. It would be much better just turn Facebook off for a few hours. Just talk to God. Just listen to him, his voice. But you, got, you have to make a decision to do that. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never heard a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called him a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. Shouldn't there be a, a parenthetical statement here that says, and this very greatly distressed Eli and hurt his feelings because God was not speaking to Eli anymore. You think about all the priest, priesthood, all the different groups that are involved with this. Dozens and dozens upon dozens of guys that were part of the priesthood that took care of all this stuff. We see this in, in, when Moses first started talking about all this stuff. So many people doing so much stuff. And the only person that God could talk to was a boy named Samuel. Which, by the way, for any younger people, God wants to speak to you just as much. God speaks to kids. He does. In fact, oftentimes kids hear God easier than adults. We've got too much life, too much baggage. We've been convinced God doesn't do stuff today. Anytime I talk about healing, I always talk about this, that you've got to go back to, to, to naive, childlike faith. That's exactly the way Jesus said it, to really believe God can do some supernatural things. Why? Because the older you get, the more years of examples you have of what he can't do, not what he can do. When you're five, God can do anything. Why? Because he's God. I mean, so can Superman and, and the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. But still, you can believe it, right? And as different things in our life begin to be unreal, we can do the same thing with Jesus. Exact same thing. So Eli said, go and lie back down again. And if someone calls, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, now this is very important. Now remember the two things that I read. Eli, this is at this time, Eli and his sons are, are sexual predators. They're, they're attacking, doing all this kind of stuff, abusing the ministry and the priesthood to, to, uh, to use women. And, and then at the end of Samuel's life, we see where Samuel does the exact same thing. Now look at this. This is what God says to Samuel. I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I am going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. It didn't say that in the first part of the story. I added that part in, that he hasn't disciplined them. But now God is saying this specifically to Samuel. Samuel, part of the reason, the, the, the reason that I'm disciplining 
Eli and, and literally going to take his son's lives is because Samuel will not do anything about this and he won't discipline them. I mean, Eli is. Eli, all you're doing is giving lip service. And he tells Samuel, a boy, to go tell Eli, the high priest, this. That's huge. And then what happens? Decades later, Samuel does the exact same thing. The exact same thing. He wouldn't discipline his boys, and his boys were, were perverting the justice through their greed. And, and, and the people of Israel immediately, they changed. Everything changed for them, and they got King Saul. As this is, this is huge for, for me and my spirit, is what our future is holding, and I don't know exactly, but what our future is holding, I believe that this is why I've been spree- speaking about this for so many months now, is I believe that we're going to have to take responsibility. You are going to have to take responsibility for the furtherance of the kingdom. It's not just going to happen. There are, there are going to be less... Our country is getting to a point where guys like me are not going to be allowed to do what I do. We're not going to be allowed to do this anymore, which, or at least not the way that I'm doing it now. I'm still going to do it until I'm dead. I'm still going to preach, teach, witness, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to. That's, that's God's call on my life, and it doesn't matter whether I get paid to do it in a church or I have to do it underground. It's going, it, I'm going to do it. Okay? But the less that guys like me can stand in places like this and do this publicly you're going to have to take more responsibility and do it in your homes and do it in, in, in secret kind of mentalities. And I don't think we're that far from that, by the way. Now, why am I saying that? Because you're going to have to keep certain things in your mind and, you, and you're going to have to keep certain attitudes. See, when you're given responsibility and authority in any arena in life, Satan will use that very responsibility and authority to manipulate you. He will use the very thing that God gives you to tear you down with. That, that, that's why as, as God does more, and, and, and by the way, I don't think there's a time in the future that you're waiting on or should be waiting on for this to happen. You should be doing this stuff now. This is why we push to everybody to have life groups. Do this stuff now. Start ministering to people now. Get your neighbors together now. Get coworkers together now. Start talking about God. Start praying. Start seeking God. Start figuring out how to do this. Have National Ice Cream Day, and I thought we should have a life group. There should be an ice cream life group. We eat ice cream, pray for each other. Pray for our cold headaches, you know, that kind of thing. But, I mean, you could pick anything out there. But minister to people. But be careful, when, because when you start submitting to God in these arenas, and God uses you this way, Satan will try to use that very thing to hurt you. Okay? So keep that. Keep that in your spirit. Keep it in your mind. Don't become the late Samuel. Always stay as the early Samuel. Right? Stay as the one that God is speaking to. Four things. The first one, God is trying to speak to you right now. Right now. He's trying to speak to you. He's trying to speak to you in this message. He's trying to speak to you through this scripture. He's trying to tell you things that this message has nothing to do with, but that God has been working on you about God is trying to speak to you right now. You've got to let him speak to you. And you've got to know that he's trying to. You've got to know that he's trying to. Okay? It's just a matter of listening to his voice, hearing, training yourself. Samuel had to, had to figure out this was God's voice, and then he had to walk in that. And he did very good, and then eventually he got to the point where he wasn't listening as much anymore. I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. I want to listen and I want to get better and better at listening all the time. As listen, he is trying to speak to you right now. I know I've said this a lot over the last few months, but please, if you for some reason still think that God is not trying to speak to you, you need to rebuke Satan and, and he's messing with your head. He's messing with your spirit and he's trying to keep you from acknowledging this in your spirit. Because when you start to acknowledge God is speaking to me, God can do amazing things with you. Stuff beyond what you thought possible. But you've got to start with God is trying to speak to me right now. Remember Joel said in the last days 
that the young people will uh, see visions, old people will dream dreams. Well, I'm dreaming more nowadays, so I think I'm older. I'm not sure. Maybe God's just given me an opportunity to see what the old people are going through. I don't know. But God is trying to speak to you. Listen. Please listen. He wants to speak to you. He wants to show you stuff. He wants to give you dreams. He wants to give you visions. And if you go and tell these to people and they're like, ah, you're a nutcase. Don't worry about them. Some will be right. Some will be wrong. That's fine. I'm saying your dreams, not people. Um, some, some dreams would be right, some would be wrong, or someone would just be pizza, right? I get that. When I have Taco Bell, I dream like crazy. I have so many dreams. I have Taco Bell about once a year. Because I don't want to dream. Okay. The second thing, God is calling you to him and out of the world. Guys, this is big. We've got to, we've got to know, we've got to come out of the things of the world out of the ways of the world, separate our stuff, our life from the stuff that's hurting us. There's a lot of stuff out there that's hurting you right now. It's hurting your Christian walk. It's hurting your mindset. It's hurting your, your, your life. It's hurting your worldview. You've got to pull away from it. You've got to get away from it. And, and parents, I know I pick on this sometimes, but you've you got to be more diligent with your children on this kind of stuff. Don't just assume that everything is going good with them. Don't just assume. Talk to them. Get in their world. They'll go, oh, mom, oh, dad. That doesn't matter. They, they weren't, they've never been in charge. Don't worry about it. You just be in charge. Ask them questions. Here's one. Parents, have you asked your children lately, hey, are you messing with porn? You, you want to start a fun family evening. That's a way to kick it off. But here's the thing. Don't you think... Don't you think that's important that you ask that? Think about this. Is, is, is somebody trying to entice you to do something that you shouldn't do? Ask them these questions. They're going to say, oh, but dig in. It's important. It's important. Ask the questions. Do the stuff. The third thing, don't become what God has called you out of. As this is big for us, the church, we have supposedly been called out of sin, and the church embraces sin so much nowadays. But we've been called out of it. We've been called to serve Jesus. Not serve big buildings and lots of people. We've been called to serve Jesus. Let's try to, let's try to be that. Regardless of anybody else you consider the church is doing that or not, you can do it. God has called you out. Don't go back to it. Don't, don't, don't let it entice you. And then the fourth thing is that God has called us to love. And I don't mean like in the verb sense. I mean like in the life worldview sense. Yes, he's called us to love people in an in action-oriented sense. But I think bigger than that, he's called us to this thing called love. He's called us to, to center our life in this, this, this idea, this life direction called love. Love of God us loving God, us being loved by God, us loving others, us being loved by others, this concept of love that our, our life has got to be built upon that. Not just as lip service, but truly built upon it to where we can love people that are not lovable, that we can care about people that, that, that seem to be attacking our God and our faith and everything else, but we can still love them. Because why? Our life is built upon it. Why? Because God is love. And if we're going to serve him, we've got to be right in the middle of that. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> so in, in the idea of praying for this, I've been processing this in, in a lot of different ways because really the prayer, my prayer for all of this, my prayer is actually the video. This is why I showed parts of this video again. My prayer is actually what Jordan Peterson said. God, if I'm going to say, and it starts with me, that's, that's why I'm pushing it off on you, but God, if I'm going to say I'm a Christian, shouldn't I look more like it? Shouldn't it be something? Shouldn't, shouldn't something be different? If, if we're a church that's following the almighty God of the universe, shouldn't something around here be at least a little different, like week by week by week kind of thing? I mean, think about what I'm saying. Shouldn't it be different? If we're doing the best we can to follow God, shouldn't, 
Shouldn't our, our family be different? Shouldn't our priorities be different? And I don't know what yours are. I'm just, I'm just this is complete transference. I'm, I don't like to be guilty by myself. So I'm pushing it off on you. Shouldn't be something be different? Right? God, we, we just come before you. Lord, we come before you as your creation. You, you made me, God. I didn't make me. God, you made me in your image. I don't, I don't even know totally what that means. God, I believe that that... Part of that is you gave me emotions like you. You gave me thought process like you. I may even look a little like you. God, you made me not just in your image, but you made me to glorify you, to look more like you spiritually, emotionally, mentally, look more like you every single day. So God, I, I repent. I repent of declaring that I'm yours but then sometimes not even knowing what your voice sounds like. Lord, for declaring that I'm a Christian and my life not look very Christ-like sometimes. i got to repent of being caught up in my own world so much that sometimes I don't even know, I don't even know if the lamp is lit. So Holy Spirit, convict us all through this room. Convict me, convict every one of us. Lord, we need you. And if we don't think we need you, Lord, convict us completely thoroughly through our entire existence. And show us that we need you more than we could ever imagine. We need, not just we want, but we need you, Lord God. We need your forgiveness, even when we don't we don't even think we've done something wrong. We need your forgiveness. We need your covering. We need your blood. We need you. We need your grace. When we're walking in arrogance and don't even realize it, we need your grace and your mercy, Lord God. We need your love every second of every day. We don't even realize it. Lord, we go extended lengths of time. We don't even think about you. We don't realize we desperately need relationship. We need you just to speak. Just speak to me. Speak to every one of us in this room. Convict us. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Or just confirm what you're trying to say. Show us that you do speak and that you are there and you do care. Lord, and we want our lives to look like you. God, I pray that I won't look, act like, smell like the world in your eyes, but I will be a sweet fragrance of worship to you my life will be pleasing to you. God, help me make differences where you've called me to, but not just because of words, but Lord, because I, I believe this so much, I'm going to do something about it. People's lives, my neighborhood, workplace, in the name of Jesus. God, give us a chance this week. Give me a chance this week just to tell somebody about you. Lord, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to look for a moment, look for an opportunity. And God, I'm going to share with somebody how much you love them. God, I pray that all across this room. In Jesus' name. God, we do pray for the Supreme Court case. God, we pray that you will, you will bless us again and help us to overturn this demonic mentality. God, we want our country to come back to you. God, we repent for all the baby's lives. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to be praying for you this week. Um, we still are doing screw tape letters this week, but I'm going to be gone. I am going to what's called our general council. It's for ministers to have meetings. And, um, and so I'm going to be gone to that, but I'm going to be praying for you. And you have a special person Wednesday night that's going to help you walk through the screw tape letters. Um, Krista. Pastor Krista has been begging me. Pastor, can I please... And I please do something like this on a Wednesday night. And I was like, granted, you can have the opportunity. Um, so she's been very excited about this. Or something, like, you have to ask her. I don't know exactly how it goes. With her. Um, but she's going to take care of that Wednesday night. So we will see you before noon tomorrow. God's going to give you a chance. Let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So we'll see you Wednesday night for Screw Tape Letters or next weekend. Have a great rest of your afternoon.